The Worship Ministry Catalyst Podcast. www.worshipministrycatalyst.com Worship Ministry Catalyst is a networking resource for all worship leaders and worship team members serving as a catalyst to facilitate worship in the local church. Here are your hosts, David Lindner and Kevin Cruz. Yeah. Yeah, just in case you were wondering. New this intro. This is the Worship Ministry Catalyst. <laughs> That's great. I don't know if it's like a second season or something. <laughs> we're but. in season two, and so we got, uh, we got some new theme music put together by my man, our very own David Lindner put that together. Sounds good. I love it. It was fun. Yeah. But hey, I thought... Uh, yeah, you know, we could be kind. Of, we could be like the Cosby Show and and do a new a new arrangement of the same theme. Very cool. We might need a new theme though. I mean, that one's pretty repetitive. It is. But but do, 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 I like it though. I mean, that, that's it's kind got of, a certain you know appealing. It, it's factor been to it's it. been our hook since the beginning. Yeah, it hooked me. I'm in. So anyway, some new theme music, new intro to to our podcast. Woo-hoo. We so are in season two. <laughs> we are looking for somebody to do the the voiceover work at the beginning. Yeah, we might have a guy from my church that's going to do it. But hey, if you want to do it and uh, you can record it and send it to us, we'll work it in. Yeah, if you've got a, one of those cool deep announcer voices, S- send us have. your voice in, and you just might hear it on the next podcast. But uh, hey, there may we're uh, we're constantly working on on this podcast and trying to help it meet your needs, entertain you a little bit, and yeah. uh, and keep it informational and exciting and fun and uplifting. Encouragement. But uh, maybe one of the one of the new segments we want to you know try out today <laughs> is uh, is something I'd like to call "Slam the Band." Here we go. Here and, we go, uh, folks. Slam you know, the band. As as musicians, we can't take ourselves too seriously. Sure. The temptation is to take ourselves seriously, but we shouldn't always take ourselves seriously. You know, we need to have fun at what we're doing and, and realize that we are not perfect. We've got room to grow. Yeah, and, of course. You know, one of the ways that you cannot take yourself seriously is to make fun of yourself. <laughs> so so here, uh, I've been following a guy on Twitter, and he's, he's always posting uh, some jokes about musicians, so... I just wanted to share a few of those. I'm just going to say the Bodron. Bodron. If I'm wrong, you can you can apologize to me later. <laughs> but uh, here we go. This will be quick. What's the best thing to use to play the Bodron? I don't know. Razor blades. What? <laughs> what do you call a Bodron player with a broken wrist? Um, a not very good Bodron. A huge improvement. <laughs> uh, why was the Bodron invented? I don't know. To give banjo players something to laugh at. Because <laughs> everyone's laughing yeah. at them. Okay, different instrument now. I tried to spread out the diffs on, on most players in the band. There you go. How many lead guitarists does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, probably 10. 
Because they, oh, none? They just steal someone else's light. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. They just. (laughs) All right. Here's a knock knock joke. You need to start it. Uh, Okay, knock knock. No, wait. I need to start it. Yeah. Knock knock. Who's there? Uh, uh, Drummer. Uh huh. (laughs) Uh, I came in early. Let's start again. (laughs) All right. I get that one. How can you tell if a lead singer is at your door? You hear him singing? You can't find the right clue or the right key and has no clue when to come in. Oh, ouch. Ouch. Hey, buddy, how late does the band play? I don't know. About a half beat behind the drummer. (laughs) Just a little behind. We're just trying to play on the backbeat. Here's a good one. Um, If thine enemy wrongs thee, buy each of his children a drum. That's that's a that's a good way to get back or something. Yeah. Uh did you hear did you hear about the guitarist who was in tune? No. Neither have I. Oh <laughs> but um difference between a drummer and a drum machine. Um one stays on beat or on tempo. A drum machine has a small amount of functional memory. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that's bad. What's the difference between Bigfoot and a brilliant drummer? None. Bigfoot has been spotted several times. Oh, wow. (laughs) How do you get a drummer to play his or her drums? Give them sticks. Start tuning your guitar. That's actually pretty funny. (laughs) You know how that happens? Like you're trying to tune up a drummer's like, you know, he's back. Oh, and here's the last one. I feel like I need the drum roll from, you know, David Letterman. (laughs) What do you call a drummer who keeps perfect time? Uh, Impossible. Your imaginary friend. Oh. We need some good uh, slam the band theme music. Slam too. the band. But uh, anyway, so. Wow. There's a couple jokes for you. That's great. Don't take yourself too seriously. I found one about, and it was actually about a B3 player, but it wasn't funny. Oh. So. If you have any good keyboard player, yeah, three player jokes, send them our way, and we'll we'll get them on the air. We're uh, we're equal opportunity offenders. <laughs> so, so thank you. Yeah, there you go. All right, slam the band. So that was good. Here we are, still talking about God songs. Yeah, we are, aren't we? And um, anything else you want to talk about before we get into to God songs? Oh. I'm tired. I I haven't stopped yawning since I've walked in here, man. Well, it's been s- seven weeks. Seven weeks. Yeah, our our little girl Haley. Uh, she is seven weeks old now, and you know she she uh I, I was sharing with David beforehand. She um you know she'll she'll have good nights and bad nights. Sometimes she'll do a good job sleeping, and she'll sleep till three or four even. Um, other nights like last night. Uh, it feels like she's just constantly crying, you know. The, the second she falls asleep, she wakes up 10 minutes later crying, you know. So I'm a little tired this morning, but... The perils of... The perils of parenthood. Yeah. That could be a podcast. It could. The perils of parenthood. Probably already one out there. Yeah, I'm sure there, sure there is. Go search it. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, Kevin's a little little groggy today. Yeah. Did you have your coffee? No, I, I don't drink coffee. Really? I'm not a coffee guy. Do you have any kind of stimulant that you? No, not you know. I um, I um, I hear people talking about you know Mountain Dew or uh, Red Bull or whatever. 
Um, you know, the, those kind of things just never really do it for me. I don't know. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing that necessarily like I gotta have this to wake up. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little natural, a little too natural. They don't really do anything for me. It's not, you know, the caffeine and the coffee doesn't really like get me going, but it's just like, it's just like a comfort kind of a thing. Uh, like having that warm drink. That, that way. It like, feels so good. No, I'll good. tell you what my comfort is. My comfort's pizza. You know, yeah. if I could have a slice of pizza every morning, I think I, I think I'd be comforted. Well, but, uh, you know, Melanie, get, I think Melanie will give me a hard time about eating pizza <laughs> for breakfast. Um, Probably not very healthy, so well, why not? It's got like all the food groups. That's in what it. I keep saying. Yeah. But Melanie always says it's bad for you, you know. Whatever. Everything in moderation. There you go. But see, a pizza pizza a day isn't really moderation, is it? <laughs> it's just like one piece. Okay. I mean, if you're eating like a whole pie yourself, <laughs> then that's one thing. But if it's just one slice, okay, then then it's all right. That's moderation, yeah. right? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Man. Anyway, so we're on uh, chapter six, right? Did we finally get through uh, chapter five? That's what I have my bookmark at. All right. Then we're on chapter six. Rhythm that moves. Rhythm that moves. So I got to be honest and say I read this chapter like a long time ago. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna be uh, refreshing myself with this. And uh, hopefully things will come to my mind. Yeah, you know, um, rhythm... That's a good. That's a good chapter. Rhythm's good. Rhythm is a good thing. It's good to have rhythm in your music. Rhythm's good. So, so um, Paul Balash, he or uh, maybe this is a Jim or Carol Owens, they define rhythm um, as motion. The feel of motion should correspond to the feel of the words and bring life to the meaning of the message. So. You know, and and I thought kind of an interesting way of looking at it. You know, rhythms, I think typically I think of drums and I think of beats and I think of, you know, finding the groove. I'm like, yeah, okay, there's the pocket, right? I got Mm -hmm. it. Um, But they're actually saying in the context of of worship music, uh, rhythm should actually be complementary to the entire message of the song. It's that prosody thing again they were talking about early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, and- which I mean, I've seen this before. Um, the, so, so there's some songs uh, that, um, okay, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the the Hillsong album. This is our God, mm-hmm. um, great album, and uh, the title track, "This Is Our God," starts off with this kind of tom beat, right? It's like, uh, actually, no, not even a snare. It's just. Right, mm-hmm. it it just got this really um this really kind of tribal tom beat going, and that and it works perfect for that song because it, it you know your presence in me. So you have that you have that tom. I'm thinking okay if if they start off with just like a just like a simple beat like a like a rock beat you know do do got do 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 got do you know it it would just totally change the the feeling of the song. Right. And it takes away from that kind of majestic, um, that that majestic, very full, thick, rich sound. Um, so yeah. Well, we've all heard bad examples of this, actually. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you think back to the original version of "Shout to the Lord," mm-hmm. 
you know, even if if I'm not a fan of that song, right? We talked anymore, about that, but you know, we did re- that song on Sunday, by the way, at our church. <laughs> I thought of you. Yeah, but um, but the original the original version, you know, it, it had this kind of anthemic feel to it. You know, it's like shout to the Lord. It's right. Like you know, you want you it just inspired you to want to respond and yeah. But since then, you know, because it's like a classic now, how many bad arrangements of that oh, song have you heard on the right, radio? Right, right. Shout to the Lord. It's like, you know, like the acid the rock version and like the dance I remix version. We're going to shout to the Lord. We're going to like rap the verses or something. Like, you know, <laughs> that totally goes against the prosody of, of of the, the original message, message yeah. of the song yep. and the original arrangement, you know, there there was there was a lot of unity there, that you know over the years people have totally thrown that out the window just to come up with a new arrangement of an old song that they think people will want to sing in their churches, you know. So you, you do have to be careful. And a lot of this chapter is talking about the arrangement, yep, the arranging of a song, and so, and they actually spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, <laughs> But he does, I think they do a, a pretty good job of defining some things like tempo, rhythm pattern, groove. Um, so those are worth worth reading the chapter. Feel. Because, which, you know, there are a lot of words that we use in music to describe music that are very vague. Yeah. You know, like. Like groove. Groove. What is groove? Yeah. Like when you, like, come you on, man. You, you just got to like, groove harder. Like an actual groove is like an, an indentation in a piece <laughs> of wood or something. You know, that's like, that's what groove is. But, but it, it's obviously, you know, it's used because that's what it is. You know, a groove is like this rut that you need to get in and stay in and find. And you don't, you, you know, you don't want to be in one groove and your bass player's in a different groove. And, you know, they don't match, you know, you need to all get in the same groove and be there together. Yeah. And so, um, feel, um, feel is paramount. It's indefinable. It's about nuances and subtleties, inflections that can't be written down on paper. And I don't know, I don't, maybe he says this, but feel, I think probably has more to do with, with the idea of of prosody, I think, like the whole song works together. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and and you you wanted the complete picture, and a lot of this song is talking about songwriting. You know, so you know, whereas this chapter can apply to our, you know, our interpretation or our arrangements or our take on um, music for Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, keep in mind that that really when we're talking about songwriting. We need to think about the whole picture, the whole song. Yeah. And, and we've talked some about arranging in the past, but, you know, for for me, when I bring uh, one of my songs to the band, I I always feel so much more prepared. Because it's your song. Yeah, because it's my song. Like, And, you know, I will have worked out an arrangement in GarageBand. So, like, I know exactly what I want everyone to do on every part of the song. But I don't always do that for someone else's song, like mm. because because you have the recording to fall back on. It's like, well, just take the recording and learn your part, and you know, come back together and we'll put it all together, you know. But I feel I always feel more prepared going into rehearsal with my own music, right? Because I know the feel, and if 
you know, if somebody's doing something that doesn't work with the feel that I'm going for, then I can, I can adjust it and, and fix it. So, but anyway, I don't know if that's a digression or not, nah. but it's kind of in the same thing. That's good. Um, but anyway, they do get into arranging and arranging is, is very important, not just in songwriting, but in worship leading. And this is a worship ministry podcast. So, so I think we can is. maybe talk about arranging a little bit. Um, but th- like we've already been saying, let's apply the cardinal rule to arranging and performance as well as to songwriting. The instrumentation, tessitura, tempo, volume, dynamics, tone callers, everything together support the message. Any one of them inappropriately can distract from it. Um, so you don't, you know, like we were saying earlier with Shout to the Lord, the wrong arrangement can take away, like, the entire meaning of the song. You know what I mean? If yeah, if you're doing of the wrong, if you're doing a completely wrong arrangement, and an arrangement, you know, that's that's a a church to church thing. You it's know, true. Like, like it's an true. arrangement of "Shout to the Lord," like a hard, you know, punk version of that song would not work here. <laughs> but it might work at you know at another church in you know down the street or something, or at a youth group or something, or in Seattle, and like they might they might. You know, the youth group here might not connect with our arrangement of shout to the Lord, but they'll connect with their arrangement. Yeah. And so it does, it, you know, there isn't one, and that's, a, and I kind of disagree. I don't know if it's in this chapter or the next chapter, but I did disagree a little bit about, about that. Like they talk about, I think it's the next chapter. Um, Yeah, it is. Words and music, happy together. So I won't get into that right now, but um. But but arranging does you do have to take into account your congregation when you're working on an arrangement of a song and and we kind of we we are kind of forced to do that because God has given us the the people with the skills and abilities that work with our congregation right and so it's well, it's and, really and every, hard to do one that doesn't work every I think every worship leader needs to understand their church and what inspires their church and you know you, you play to the strengths of the people that you try to inspire mm-hmm. um i mean we were even talking uh, about this you know uh, a little bit ago about you know working towards people's assets you know uh, every single person has a, a gift every single person has a strength and you know I, and I think it's the same with churches i think our churches have strengths and guess what? Every church has a weakness too. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And so you find the strengths of your church, you play to them. Um, mm-hmm. And even musically, you play to them. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't have a string section, don't try and come up with an arrangement that is centered around strings. Right. <laughs> right. Don't, don't try to get some lush, yeah. uh, harmonious, if you don't have orchestral. a, if you don't have a Bodron player, Bodron. Then don't you know? Don't write an arrangement that that needs a Bodron in it. Oh, and if I, you know what that is, send I, us an email. And I tell wish us. I had a Bodron player, man. If you don't have a banjo player, uh, don't do bluegrass. That's that's what Lorewood's missing. We're missing the Bodron. If you don't Gosh. have a fiddle player, don't do bluegrass. You know, oh. there are things you just shouldn't do. But you know, if you do, 
If you do have a banjo player and you do have a fiddle player and people in your church love bluegrass, then you should be doing bluegrass arrangements. Bring it. You know what I mean? Like, Bring it. That's what a lot of the music that people sang at my church growing up was a bluegrass, had a bluegrass feel to it. And like if, you know, we had a, our, our pastor had, a, was friends with a banjo player. And when he came, it was like the best thing for the church. You know, everyone <laughs> just ate it up. Or, you know, that when someone came and played fiddle, it was like the best thing. When this, when this guy would play his harmonica, everyone just ate it up. You know, wow. it's like, that's what worked for our church growing up. And it didn't necessarily work for me or for the youth or for, you know, my family per se, but a lot of people liked it. So it worked, Yeah, but it wouldn't work here. Yeah. Yep. It might work like as like a novelty kind of a thing once in a while. Yeah. Know your church, know your church and who they are. Um, this is something that, that I'm actually the next, the next bold thing. Improvised licks can add a lot to a song, but they must agree and support the message. It's something that, that I have a lot of respect for, especially when you think about jazz and like, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of variation in jazz. Like there's, there are, you know, there are uh, musicians who, who can improv- improvise in a melodic way and improvise in a way that really adds to the song. And then there are other jazz musicians that just, that just want to rip and shred and, you know, right. do all of it and just show that their fingers can move really fast. And like, but then there are guys that bring both of them together. And when you, when you see that, like, it's just, it's just astounding. You see somebody who plays really melodically and then who can throw that melody into like a really fast moving, you know, improvise this or that, like that just blows me away. Yeah. And so it's, it's the same kind of thing, you know, I've tried, I've been trying more and more to improvise on my own. And mm. when I have the chance to do something like that, it's like, I try to, I try to throw something in and inevitably I'll do something inappropriate first <laughs> before I come up with something that works. You know what I mean? Well, you know, <laughs> sometimes you got to fail first. Yeah. But but you, <laughs> but at least you know hear it and and work on it. Yeah. So so you know I I think it's interesting what they're talking about with uh with solos in the book you know licks and and solos and whatnot and um you know just talking about um doing it at the right place appropriately um and and actually how it can be worshipful um. You know, uh, Paul. Paul kind of refers to the Psalms, talking about in the Psalms we we see that word selah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that that means that kind of you know denotes an instrumental interlude. It, it denotes a, a time where you pause, and and you calmly think about it. You know, and it's like, uh, it's like we can do very much that same way with with our worship music, with mm-hmm. our solos. You know, this little instrumental section, this this interlude, a tie-in. And then when, you know, it's like we're pausing, we're thinking about it, and then we come back in with our voices, boom, we're all there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he makes an interesting note. He says, uh, the scripture doesn't say that David sang for Saul. It says he played and the evil spirit departed, 1 Samuel 16, mm-hmm. 23. And I thought that was interesting, you know, that the power of music, right? Yeah. You know, the power of music and, and the power of, of a solo or a, a lick or instrumental interlude done the right way i mean you know we've all heard it right Mm -hmm. yeah and and there and you know just a couple lines before that we've seen 
uh, genuinely anointed instrumental soloist prophesy on their instruments and lead a congregation into greater heights of worship. I mean, yeah, especially as musicians, you know, sure. when, when you hear somebody, I was trying to explain this. We've got a guy that's coming to our church who is by far one of the most gifted guitarists and especially soloists, like lead guitarist, lead soloists that I've ever played with in my life. Wow. And I, I, he hasn't ever played with wow. us. Wow. You know, I, we've we've played together a couple of times, but not for church or, you know, we've just jammed a couple of times. And it's like, and, I, and I've tried to tell him, you know, he's one of the things he's worried about is he doesn't want to be a distraction. He doesn't want people's attention to be drawn away from God into what he's doing. And it's like, right. well, I think it's just the opposite. You know, when I, when I hear somebody do that, it's like, man, that's amazing. They're, you know, God has given them this awesome gift and they're using it as an act of worship. And it just takes me to somewhere else that I can't go with just words. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's, it's bigger than that. And, and it's, it's amazing when, when you get to see that happen. And on, on that note, like as worship leaders, I think at least me, one of my weaknesses is, is I, I stray away from doing instrumental stuff. Mm. And I've, when I read that, I thought, you know, I need to I need to take more advantage of of Selah, you know, like in between songs and mm. and during songs and like yeah, well, I need to train my congregation what what to what, do during yeah. that time. Sure. But if if I can train them to do that and then and then do it and they do pause and reflect on what we just sang or they pause and reflect on a scripture or something like that could be really powerful. Definitely. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's something we need to pay attention to and work on. Mm. At least I do. Well, Hey, um, let's talk real quick about intros, fills, endings. And then I think we're out, out of time. Almost out of time. So let's go through this. Let's go through this section of, and, uh, you know, and and this, this right here, this is just good, um, worship leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and one of the reasons why we're going through this book and encouraging our listeners to buy this book and go through it with us. Um, by the way, we don't get any money, right? No, we're not, we're book. not getting any kickback <laughs> from this. Um, but you know, so, so they're talking about, uh, they're talking about intros, right? They're talking about, um, how, how intros set the mood, uh, they mm-hmm. establish the feel, um, you know, and, and, and like, even we were just talking about it. The, the hook for our uh, worship ministry catalyst podcast, you know, you establish that intro, you, you kind of mm-hmm. get that hook um, that can really, that can really set the stage for where we're going. Yeah. Um, figures, a signature lick, you know, a counter melody. If you think, you know, a lot of blues music kind of has this to it where they'll, sure. they'll sing something and, you know, like, you know, somebody will, I got the blues. But you know, there's, there's something, you know, they just kind of, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, This is something that the next, you know, lyrics don't don't have to fill up all of every line. That's hard. Right, I know. You, 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 you know? want to, you want them to be there, don't you? Yeah. It's hard to leave space in, in your music for, for instrumental stuff. It's like, because you only have this, the small section, you only have, you know, a few words that you get to get your message across. And so it's hard to leave room for, for instrumental stuff. Um, 
the end of a song. Basically, you know, for this whole chapter and for the whole book, the whole song has to work together. Right. So the beginning of your song has to set up the song. The end of your song has to end the song in appropriate in, in an appropriate way. So he talks about different ways of ending mm-hmm. songs, and you know we've all heard them. There's there's the fade, um, like you know you you listen to an album, you got the Nashville fade where mm-hmm. you know they'll, they'll go through the, a chorus again and just kind of fade it out, which works well on an album. Not yeah, not as well <laughs> live. Um, a little harder to do yeah. live. There's the uh, extending ending ending where you kind of stretch out those last few chords. Mm-hmm. Um, the delayed ending where. Uh, you, you kind of alter the chord a little bit, um, you know. You go to the six instead of the one. Right, yeah. right, yeah, mm-hmm. just kind of change it up or, or even take it out of key a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if you're like, if you're in the key of A, um, you know, you're in the key of A, uh, you go to an E, you go to an F sharp minor, um, and then instead of going to like the D, the four chord, you go to like B, like the, mm-hmm. the yeah, two the major, major two, chord. Yeah. So you're taking out the key a little bit. So you mm-hmm. go to this B, and then it resolves to E, and then, right. So mm-hmm. um, what else I got here? A tag ending. Yeah, just tag That's it. It's kind of the same thing, but not exactly. But um, paramount ending, you know, like doing like a build up no. to the last, loud, you know, like a flat six and a flat seven, and then the major do, one. Do, boom. Yeah, that's like, that's like the signature paramount ending. Yeah. Slowing down, coasting to a stop. We all have done that. Mm-hmm. An outro. Which I, I do that a lot. Like, I'll, I'll take my intro. Um, use it as the outro. Yeah, and just use it mm-hmm. as the outro. So after we finish the chorus, we'll we'll go back to that, that intro, you know, which mm-hmm. is usually like the chord to the chorus or something, and just kind of rock out on that. Yeah. You know, pro- probably the ones that I use the most here are are um, are taking the ending, um, um, the outro. And then mm-hmm. just just ending it, you know, kind of the the slowing down, you know, where y- you you finish on that last that last uh, note of a of a mm-hmm. song, and you just end it right there. Yeah, I use I use the outro a lot. Um, I use a tag a lot. Payoff ending, never actually. Never, um, never with the payoff. Um, unfinished ending, I like to use fairly regularly. Where you, like, like where you don't resolve it, like yeah. you keep it on the four chord. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that bugs me. I have, a, I have a hard time with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it every now and then. Whoops, I'll do it every now and then if if I'm um uh if I'm going to be going to like a song with with the a different key mm-hmm. and and if I can use like the four chord as like my one chord for the next song, I might do it that way. But just ending a song unfinished, you know, like on the four chord, that that's hard for me. Well, and it, but it does work well as a transition. Give me an example. This last weekend we did Mighty to Save, and then we did Wonderful Maker. We did them both in the key of A. So, um, so we did the outro as the intro. We did the same intro as the outro on Mighty to Save, but we ended on D instead of resolving to A. And then, and then the acoustic player picked up the on the D for the intro of uh, Wonderful Maker. So, you know, just kind of strumming on the D and then the verse starts on a D. So like we were right there ready to go and it actually worked really well. So it just kind of gave us, it gave an unfinished ending, but it worked as a perfect transition into Wonderful Maker. Cool. So syncopation. Oh, we were going to end it before we got to the next section. Oh, did we? Yeah. What? We, we just ended the, uh, we just ended the intros. 
Do you want to try to do syncopation? Probably not. Let's, let's say the rest let's of chapter cut. six yeah. for next time. Cut. Cut. We're done. We're out of All here. Right. So anyway, Worship Ministry Catalyst. You can find us online, worshipministrycatalyst.com. Yes. You can uh, join our social network, worshipministrycatalyst.ning.com. You can send us an email to David at Worship Ministry Catalyst or Kevin at Worship Ministry Catalyst. And we love to hear from you. So get in touch. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye.